1: You are listening to The Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of
0: Detroit. I assume this is about what went on at the motel. What happened at the motel? You don't know, I tell you. I was working security by Wisconsin, and on Tuesday night, we heard gunfire coming from the area near the Algiers. Police was there. There was a lot of shooting. When I went in there, three kids have been killed. No. So they were killed right before you got there. Sir. You carry a 38. right? A revolver. You carry a revolver? I do have a 38. You ever shoot anyone? I didn't do it. Police. Oh, here we go. Here in Detroit, a city of war, violence continues. We've made state police and national guardsmen available. I'm declaring a public state of emergency. It's a war zone out there.
1: They're destroying the city. Police! police! going to assume
0: you're all criminals. You don't talk about this to anyone ever. Understand?
1: All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Detroit. And the story is as follows. Police and military spring into action when rioting and civil unrest rocks Detroit during the summer of 1967. It is starring John Boyega, Will Poulter, Algie Smith, Jason Mitchell, John Krasinski, Anthony Mackie, and Jacob Lattimore. It is directed by Catherine Bigelow, written by Mark Bull, and joining me for this review for the first time on the Next Best Picture podcast, we have Next Best Picture Zone, Tommy Barquinero, everybody. Thank you so much, Matt. I, uh, excited to make my debut today. Yeah, no, we're really excited to have you as well. I'm also excited because for such a controversial emotional and impactful film i'm very very intrigued to hear your thoughts on it ultimately so yes yes, tommy you've been writing reviews for next best picture now for a couple of months and you saw detroit uh yesterday i believe that's right last night it's fresh in my mind that's really good to hear because i saw it like i don't know like 10 days ago or something yeah but uh, this will be, this will be uh, a lot of fun. I'm really excited to talk about this film with you. There's a lot to certainly talk about. So why don't we just get the skinny out of the way first here. What did you think of Detroit overall?
2: Well, you know, uh, as you know, as we've discussed on Twitter, uh, I'm sure we'll get into some uh, inherently problematic things uh, that I think the movie has to deal with. My personal opinion, though, is that it's a very provocative and gripping film. I think it really uses you know, a relentless, sustained approach on, on you know, a horrifying incident of racism in this country. And as you watch it, it's hard not to be gripped by the power of it. I think uh, you know, it's a film led by its strong performances, especially from Algie Smith. Uh, you know, he really serves as the heart of the film. Um, and I think he, he really provides the film with uh, most of its emotional power. I also appreciate the film's, you know, kind of naturalistic approach, you know, especially for the first part of the film. It's really uh, letting us into uh, a night in the lives of these main characters, and uh, that kind of sets you up for the uh, sudden jolting horror that comes. So, uh, I was very moved by it. Well, that's really good to hear. Um, I was moved by it too. In fact,
1: there was a part in the movie where there's like this cathartic release moment, and I was singing with a friend of mine and I, I, I broke down and I started crying in the movie theater. And my friend, he actually like put his hand on my shoulder because he noticed I was crying. Right. And um, when the movie was over, he came up to me and I told him, I was like, I'm so sorry. I cried. I'm so sorry. And he, he's black and he said to me, don't be sorry. And he's like, you know, you having that kind of reaction showed me that you understood And that you recognized uh, what was going on in this movie, essentially. Right. And that's, let me tell you, if a film can make me do that, uh, I mean, that's an automatic, like, extra point, I guess, in my case for the film. Because there's not many films that really get that kind of a reaction out of me. But Bigelow is so in command of her craft in this film in creating tension, drawing it out. Um, exercising a cast of dread over all of the proceedings and then when that film gets that moment to finally breathe again, even if it's for a brief moment before it heads into its third act, which I feel like overall is probably the one thing about the movie that hinders it, is that the third act feels like it's tacked on. Right. Um, That moment of the release was just so, so important for me. And You know, the first part of the film, it's interesting because the movie starts off with like this animated opening credit sequence, which I thought was pretty clever and very original. Mm -hmm. And then it moves into what is almost like a macro level look at the riots. Uh, We're not necessarily focusing on individual characters. In fact, the film goes on for about almost 20 minutes with nothing but newsreel footage and um just showing this incident that happens at this bar one night which um i guess is the catalyst event that you know started the riots ultimately right and then we finally get introduced to a character that you know we presume will be someone we'll be following you know throughout the rest of the movie we are introduced to uh will poulter's character we're introduced to algie smith's character with jacob Lattimore. we're introduced to john boyega um but John Boyega comes in actually much much later, right? You know, so it's it's very interesting how there's no lead character in this. And at first, I thought when the movie first started, like I I was kind of taken aback because I almost I almost got that feeling of almost like a docudrama, right? You know, and Barry Ack- Ackroyd used to shoot uh, documentaries. He's a cinematographer on the film. Mark Bull, you know, being a research journalist and doing uh, extensive work and all the details that went into this film. It almost seemed like I was watching a totally different movie than what I was expecting for at least the first 20 minutes or so. And then that middle section. Right. My God. The middle section is like an hour long or maybe even more of this incident that takes place at the Algiers Motel in 1967, 50 years ago. And for me, it is scene of the year. Yes, I mean, there's no scene I don't think I'll see this year that'll top it in terms of its raw emotional power, its harrowing depiction of just sheer horror, um, and just having that very confident ability to take you as a viewer and put you
2: into that situation and make you wonder, my God, what would I do if I was in this situation? Absolutely. No, I agree. And uh, I think that unconventional pacing at the start of the film that you were talking about – I think that generates some of the power of the horrifying sequence of the Algiers motel, because, you know, as you mentioned, the film starts and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of strange, you know, we're, we're in the riots, we're, we're moving from the motel to the bar to the Fox theater. It's a little bit disorienting, but it feels kind of a, like a natural night in the lives of these people. And then all of a sudden uh, their lives are upended with this extremely lengthy sequence that will, uh, you know, alter the course of their lives forever. And I think if it weren't for that kind of strange you know, patient pacing at the start of the film, um, some of the power would have been lost in the middle section. And I think it really kind of lulls us into a false sense of comfort at the start of the movie. And then Bigelow very cleverly you know, draws us into this uh, terrifying incident at the Algiers. And it's so, so heartbreaking too when you
1: realize what it's all over. Yes. It's all over just somebody who's, you know, upset. He, you know, it's Jason Mitchell, basically, uh, who played Easy in Straight of Compton. Yes. And he's firing a toy gun out the window. And it's obviously harmless, but cops, military personnel, everybody's on edge. And it just starts to snowball of an incident that just goes out of control. And, you know... I have to ask this uh, question to you because I wanted to know if you thought it at some point. Uh, I eventually got my answer I was looking for. But one of the things that puzzled me upon leaving the theater was I asked my friend who I saw with, why wouldn't they just tell the cops about the toy gun and who had it? You know, if the cops are trying to figure out that there's a sniper and where these shots came from, and that is the whole reason for why they're doing everything that they're doing ultimately. Right. Then why doesn't somebody just tell them? And you know what my friend said to me? He said to me, Do you think that even if they told the cops the truth, that the cops would even believe them? Right. And that I Oh my God, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I heard that because that right there made the the sequence even more horrifying to know that no matter what they said, they would not be believed. No matter what they did, they would probably get shot. It it just really, really, really
2: hammered home for me that it was a truly hopeless situation. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, in that moment, there's two things going on. I think that the lead cop, uh, you know, played by Will Poulter, There's the fact that he's just being driven by base racism and this kind of, you know, sick thirst for power. uh, Once he gets really
1: established early on, uh, with a scene where um, it's like a guy who's just taking his groceries, a looter. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, and he thinks he's a looter, and he actually shoots him, and it's it's just it's terrible. And then he tries to justify it later before his superior, and oh, God. can we just say for the record that Will Poulter is absolutely incredible in this movie?
2: He is, and you know it's interesting because he looks like he's like in his teens still, and you know that kind of adds to the cruelty of his character. You know, you have this guy who has a very boyish appearance who is engaging in the most uh, sickening acts possible. Um, you know, to answer your original question about why you know they might not have told the cops about the toy gun, you know, part of it is like your friend said, there's this base racism and there's this mistrust between the two parties. I think they realize if they were to tell the truth, it would not um, be heard by the cop. And at multiple points in the film, they try to say, look, there was no real gun. And, you know, Will Poulter's character carries on. Um, I think the other aspect is in that situation, fear probably takes over. Um, And it's probably hard to think rationally in that moment when you're fearful for your life. Yeah, you know, you talk about the trust
1: between the two groups and, um, you know, that's where John Boyega's character really steps in here. Yes. You know, I don't think we've seen John Boyega in a role like this yet. Um, And it was interesting because he reminded me of like a young Denzel Washington at times. Um, I really got a really commanding uh, lead actor vibe from him. Yes. Um, A very, very natural charisma that showed to me that he can... Obviously pull off the kind of things that he's doing in Star Wars or um, another uh, sci-fi action film like Attack the Block. But then really balance it out with a truly dramatic and and layered performance that he gives in this. And he's kind of like stuck in between. Right. He's trying to save the kids' lives. He's trying to get them to survive the night while at the same time – playing buddy buddy with the cops because he himself is kind of an authority figure and while they do trust him to a certain extent even still you can see that there is a a riff between him and the him and the cops sure what i found most interesting of all was that the military personnel that were involved to uh, keep the riots at bay they at a certain point just don't want anything to do with this right And they're the ones to kind of be like, I'm getting out of here. This is not worth my time. Um, This is pointless and silly. And they really, really make it look like it is truly just these uh, Detroit cops. Right. And they get all the blame, essentially, it seems like, for the racism here, which I guess is not too subtle when you think about it. It Mm -hmm. seems like bail and uh, not Bale, Bull and Bigelow are really honing in on this uh, whole thing of cops are evil. Mm-hmm. But that's why when I had that emotional moment, like I talked about earlier, later on in the film, yes, it was because there was a moment that happens with, um, I believe it is algie cha- yeah, Smith's character. Yeah. It's algie Smith's character where he realizes that not all cops are bad. And, that to me was the moment that like got to me, um, and also the fact too that, you know, he he goes on, you know, and uh, has a very somber ending. Actually, might I might I say, and, and once again, it's another thing about the film that feels tacked on in its third act. I'm not necessarily sure if it was needed, but it does highlight what you were saying earlier about how these men are really changed for
2: forever, and women too, might I add. Sure, and you know, without spoiling anything that. That final sequence with Algie Smith to me is among the most moving scenes in the film. Uh, You know, he is a a performer, a musical artist, and the film kind of, uh, you know, closes his character's arc on that note, and it's uh, incredibly moving. Uh, You know, at the start of the film, he has, you know, massive ambition. He's performing at the Fox Theater, and when you see the trajectory that the character follows, I think that's among the most, uh, you know, gut wrenching uh, aspects of the movie. Um, I will say about John Boyega's character, I completely agree that he gives an excellent performance. And I just wish that the film did more with the internal conflict that his character is experiencing, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause here he is uh, a black security guard on that level. He's kind of aligned with uh, the power structure and that leads to some, you know, distrust amongst him and uh, these black people who are being, you know, victimized by the cops. And you see that at times, you know, There's this one character who calls him an Uncle Tom and you clearly see Boyega uh, having a very tough time, you know, processing, you know, his role as a security guard and the clear racism that he's seeing. But I just don't know if the movie delves deeply into that conflict. And I kind of wish they spent more time uh, on his character. Uh, I'm not sure how you feel about that.
1: No, I think that's fair. It almost seems like um, what you're you're asking for is maybe a little bit more of um – of an overview of that character, almost to because this film is truly an ensemble film. It is no one is like the real quote unquote standout or supposed to be the standout. You know, some may argue Poulter is a standout because he's playing the villain of the of the film, but I could see a, a need or a desire to want to make Boyega the lead, and the film is seen through his perspective in his eyes or um, Algie Smith. And see the film through his eyes. You know, whatever the case may be, I feel like some people would hope for there to be a lead character that we can relate to, that we could trust, and that we could go on this journey with. But instead, Bale and Bigelow, because they're trying to show this event on a macro level and not make it so intimate and personal, they really tell the story from all different points of view.
2: They do. And, uh, you know, they're they're really trying to emphasize the chaos of the moment. And, uh, you know, I suppose when things are so frantic like that, it's hard to, you know, focus on one character because in that moment, you know, everyone's kind of in the same boat, filled with terror. Um, And I think they do an excellent job of capturing that. Though I will say at the start of the film, they seem to subscribe to the, you know, Paul Greengrass approach of, you know, shaking the camera violently to demonstrate chaos. And that's kind of an approach that I find uh, a little bit cliched. So I, I did have an issue with that kind of stylistic technique, but overall, they, they do capture the the terror and chaos of the moment. Yeah, the cinematography in this
1: movie isn't necessarily anything uh, truly special, at least to me. Um, and I, and I kind of am with you on that. Although Bigelow has shown in Zero Dark Thirty and also in The Hurt Locker that she is a master at uh, creating tension out of realistic situations yes. and portraying them as authentically as uh, possible. There's nothing about her work that seems glossy or you know um straight out of a modern day blockbuster like it's gritty it's raw and it feels um so intense while you're watching it and another large part of that has to do with the uh the editing on display i think i think this film has tremendous film editing Mm -hmm. Uh, um very very great um in terms of how it is cut amongst the different povs and how difficult that must have been to do so. Right. Because clearly they shot a lot of footage, especially for that hotel sequence. Yes. And uh, the sound I thought in this movie, like sound editing and sound mixing, uh, you know, for those two uh, Oscars, I think it could also uh, even potentially contend in those areas because there were times in this movie where the gunshots
2: just rattled me. Right. And in in many cases, you hear it from a distance. You hear it from, you know, the perspective of, of the people who you know have their backs turned against the cops you know looking away from the action so they can't see what's happening so the horror comes from that auditory you know display of the gunshots and the beatings and it's kind of disorienting and and terrifying and i think the movie captures that and i think for the editing uh in addition to that sequence at the algiers i think the editing is very strong in the interrogation scene with john boyega's character Mm, yeah um in terms of switching the point of views, like you said, I, I think that is editing at the highest level. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, I've heard some
1: people complain in the last 20 minutes or so, we didn't actually have to see actual footage. We really only needed everything to be explained to us via text on a black screen. Right. But I think it's very important that those moments are shown mm-hmm. because a film like Selma, uh, directed by Duvernay. Duvernay. Ava, Duvenet. Duvenet, Ava Duvenet, the Queen Herself. Yes. That film was very hopeful. That film gave us a reason to want to stand up, be more active, and it was an inspiring movie in many ways. This is like if Selma was a horror film. Yeah. And instead of going with a certain response, it's taking a stance of, we want you to see how truly awful this is because we're trying to appeal to those emotions to put you into action, to do something, to say something, to start a conversation. Whatever it might be, we're trying to rattle you ultimately because there are many, many people out there who just either disregard, play down. They don't take this seriously they just think, oh, it's just another crime or something along those lines. And what Bale and uh, ba- I keep saying, I keep saying it like <laughs> bail, like Christian Bale. Yeah. What Mark Bull and Catherine Bigelow are doing here is they're trying to show us that we're not so different from where we were 50 years ago. Right. That this is something that is still happening, and even though progress has been made. I mean, the reason why that opening sequence with the uh, the animation is so so important. How many hundreds of years of slavery and injustice and inequality and then you only have to go to the 60s for the black uh, community to get the right to vote even? And here we are now 50, you know, almost 60 years from then. 50 to 60 years compared to sh- centuries of time mm-hmm. is very, very, very tiny. And we're still dealing with the ripple effect of the atrocities that were committed by our ancestors hundreds of years ago. And that that, that is like the – oh, man. The, the, that connection from the past to the present is something that I – Believe Bigelow and Bull are trying to get through to us, mm-hmm. but obviously just in a more intense way. It's like that line in Seven where um, Kevin Spacey says it's not enough to just tap people on the shoulder anymore. Now you have to right. hit him in the face with a sledgehammer. Right. This film is the equivalent of a sledgehammer to the face.
2: Absolutely, and uh, you know it's very much a movie of the moment. It arrives, you know, on the heels of, you know. Trump telling a group group of police officers in uh, Long Island to be more aggressive when they arrest people. God. Uh, So, you know, we live very much in this climate, and uh, the terror on display here is not too far removed from what is happening. And I think, uh, you know, like a lot of provocative art, the movie, you know, forces the viewer to, you know, reckon with uh, the reality of what's happening outside the movie theater. And that may upset some people. Sure. And we have seen... That
1: the movie is upsetting people. Yes. And I would argue that that is intentional. That doesn't make it bad. You may not enjoy it. Right. And if the basis for you for you uh, thinking a film is good or bad is your level of enjoyment, I can't necessarily argue with you because I've had I've seen movies that I did not enjoy that I thought were um, bad. I'm looking at it from a different standpoint of enjoyment. I'm not looking at it from that subjective point of view. Right. I want to know if the film is well made. I want to know if the film is telling its story as effectively as it possibly can. Is the acting good? Is, are the texts uh, all in order? Like, I'm looking at it from a totally different point of view. And I understand that people that may look at it from a more personal point of view mm-hmm. because the film is so upsetting – they're coming out and they're saying that people really shouldn't see this film. That it doesn't depict the um, doesn't depict the, the events uh, in a, in a good manner. Mm-hmm. That it has a very muddled message. Um, I I understand uh, where everybody's coming from, uh, but I would like to state objectively that I think this film is strong. It's not as strong as Zero Dark Thirty or The right. Hurt Locker. Right. But it's one of the strongest films I will see this year, and it's definitely a standout in 2017. It is an objectively well-made film. Whether you agree with how it chooses to depict the events that are being shown is one thing. But mm-hmm. there's no arguing that Bigelow knows exactly what she's doing here. And she, is, she, she does, in some sequences, do some of the best work of her career.
2: And uh, from my personal standpoint, I would agree with you uh, in terms of my opinion on the film – Uh, I would push back a little bit on this notion of, you know, an objective appreciation of uh, Detroit, especially when you consider the topic that the movie is considering, uh, you know, racism, police brutality. And, you know, as a white man, to me, I have an issue when I see, you know, white people taking a stance of automatic defensiveness whenever, you know, a black critic such as, you know, Angelica Bastine, who wrote a review on RogerEbert.com that's got a lot of – traffic over the past week and what she basically calls the movie soulless she says that it's a problem that it was uh, entirely written uh, created produced directed by you know white artists and that plays a role in her feeling that the movie is kind of detached from the horror on screen that's something that you know i can't relate to and i'm here giving the film uh, a positive review but i just feel i'm in no position to you know criticize, uh, you know, a black critic for having that, that, that reaction to the movie, because they're coming at it from a far more personal experience. And I think this issue of, you know, white artists uh, engaging in uh, such sensitive civil rights material, it is a complicated subject. and, And I have to respect those who, who say that, you know, this was not Bigelow's film to make. And, you know, more broadly, this was not the right approach. So, I do have a. When you say it's not somebody's film to make, though,
1: um, I don't know where that applies and where that doesn't apply to all other filmmakers. When is it okay to say that and when is it not okay? You know what I mean? Like, where Mm -hmm. do we draw the line with that? I I think that they're approaching it from a good hearted place with with the best intentions. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think they're trying to make a film that's a snuff film or. Something that's really, truly going to upset people on a level where they're trying to provoke for the sake of provoking. They're trying to, you know, if anything, maybe hear me out on this for a minute. Maybe if anything, it is a film made by white people for those evil white people (laughs) to get them to wake (laughs) the fuck up about how they feel on this situation. Um I don't know. I'm. I am. I'm not necessarily pushing back, and I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also not disrespecting anybody out there that takes this stance, but I'm. I'm merely just presenting an argument here um, that I think is interesting. I think it's provided at least from me this past uh, couple of days uh, some of the most awful conversations I've had about cinema um, in general lately. You know, I mean, somebody brought up to me that they felt that as a as a jewish person watching schindler's list if that film was not made by a jewish director they they feel that the film would not have its uh, same power and its same uh effect but i think I, I don't know i come from the school of thought that if you watch a film blind you know you don't know anything about who made it you don't know anything about the story behind it and you're just judging the art you know, we talk all the time about separating the art from the artist. Right. I think that's the way we need to be able to look at movies because otherwise, I, I think then if that's how you're going to look at everything that you, you know, that you watch, then you might as well never watch a Woody Allen film ever again. Sure. And th- there are some out there who don't. You might as well never watch a Roman Polanski film ever again. You might as well never watch a Mel Gibson film ever again. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, I I can't – I don't like the fact that sometimes these uh, biasness, they are justified and other times they are, in my opinion, not. I, I think that if you're going to take a stance of you're watching something and you are going to judge the film based upon who's making it, well, then you should do that all the time and it should not be something that's convenient for you in the moment. Um, you know, just – a little, 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 food for thought there in that regard. Mm-hmm. Do I think that the film is awful? Yeah, I tell you this, you know, when it comes to Detroit, I am not looking forward to watching it again. I don't know if I can watch it again so soon. Right. It's a very upsetting film in many, many ways. Right. But I think the film did its job on me then. I think the film worked because if it got me to feel this way. And it got me to have that kind of reaction. I think that's exactly what they were going for. And you know what? This has also brought up a very interesting topic of conversation when it comes to just looking at films from an objective or subjective point of view. And how close does a film truly hit home for some people? And how do they interpret it? And then also, too... um, tried to convince others how to interpret it because of how it felt on them i'm not telling you guys how to feel about detroit i don't really care so much it's not you know i'm just i'm just talking and you're all listening right now at the end of the day here what i do ask is i do ask that you see detroit and i ask that you then talk about it the same way that tommy and i are talking about it the same way that I've seen other people talk about it. What I don't want to see happen is I don't want to see people get into terrible arguments that's going to put them down a hole and it's going to just lead to some ugly confrontations. I don't want to see that happen. So I urge that you see the movie, that you don't disregard the movie. I think it's an important movie and I want it to do well at the box office because I think that this is an important subject matter that deserves our conversation. And if a film can do that,
2: And I have the same personal reaction to the movie. Uh, You know, I urge people to see it as well. uh, It's a powerful piece of art, as far as I'm concerned. I would push back a little bit on this notion of you know watching a film objectively, especially when you're dealing uh, with a topic such as police brutality, uh, you know, against the black community. I think you know, whenever we walk into a film, we can't help but bring our personal experiences, our personal biases, our personal tastes uh, to the theater. And I think we have to acknowledge the fact that a lot of the criticism being leveled against Detroit is coming from uh, African-American critics. And, you know, certainly that doesn't mean we need to change our view of the film. Uh, but we, we do kind of have to interrogate our reaction to the movie and respect where they're coming from. You know, I think on the issue of, you know, should a white filmmaker be able to uh, make a movie about this, this incident at the Algiers Motel – You know, I do think it's complicated, but I do agree with you that filmmakers should be encouraged to uh, explore experiences outside of their own. And I think so much great art comes from people who explore different perspectives and experiences. But when you do that, you do open yourself up to criticism from the community that you're portraying. And I agree that, you know, Bigelow and Bowl certainly I'm not questioning their intentions. Obviously, I think their intentions are clear to show this horrible racism to challenge people to consider the racism that still exists today. But their intentions are irrelevant if somebody looks at the film and says, you know, this doesn't hit home to me, this doesn't feel like a fair and in-depth portrayal of my community, my experiences. So I would just kind of encourage people to have that debate, uh, because I think it could be a great learning experience for all involved. And You know, I have, uh, it's my duty to listen to that perspective, even though I can't relate to it, you know, as a white man. I think you just said it really, really well there. You got two uh, varying
1: differences of opinion here, uh, all working towards the same goal ultimately. Um, I, I would love to hear people's comments, I would love to hear people's feedback. Um, And I would love to hear what people thought of the movie once they've seen it as well. It it will continue to be one of the highlights of 2017 for me, uh, what this film has been able to both give to me uh, emotionally and also intellectually through the conversations that it inspires. And hopefully it will do more than that as well. And we won't just all sit here and argue about it. Hopefully, we'll be able to take these passions that we're all experiencing uh, from this film. And we'll be able to put them into action to see real change and hopefully justice done. Well said. Yes. So, let's head over into the final part here. Uh, Final thoughts on the film. Grade out of 10. No point fives. That's the rule (laughs) around here. I make you choose your grade and also any Oscar potential.
2: Sure. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give the movie an 8 out of 10. Um, I think it's a very strong film, provocative. I think it's rooted in a lot of the horror that happens, uh, you know, on a daily basis in this country. I think Algie Smith gives an amazing performance. Uh, John Boyega gives a terrific performance as well. And I think the movie uses its relentlessness to its advantage, especially with that, you know, just awful sequence uh, at the Algiers Motel. Um, not not pushing it to the level of a 9 out of 10, simply because I have some stylistic issues with the film in terms of its you know shaky camera work, especially at the start. As we've discussed, I think it it loses a bit of direction toward the end. And I think that courtroom scene uh, involving John Krasinski's character, uh, to me it focuses too heavily on you know Krasinski's lawyering and him as a skilled lawyer, and it doesn't really probe... Uh, the dynamics at play uh, in the trial. And, you know, I do think there are some inherently problematic aspects to the film. And I certainly respect um, all the criticism that's being thrown its way, especially from African-American critics. But for me, eight out of 10, it's a strong movie. It's provocative. It'll spark debate. And uh, I think it should be seen. Um,
1: I am
2: giving it a nine out of 10. Like I
1: said, I was originally at an eight as well. And film made me cry. Automatic one point edition. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I was like you, you know, that that doesn't
2: happen often. Like, I I don't cry often. I mean, it happened when we saw Baywatch together. I thought that was a little strange, but you know, you were really moved. <laughs> that was by a it. different kind of cry. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Baywatch. Oh man, yes. oof, that was that was a train wreck.
1: Um, but with this film, it's one of the most powerful films I think I will see this year. Uh, it is also. Trying to do something incredibly difficult and for the most part, not fully, but for the most part, I think it pulls it off. That third act feels so tacked on with John Krasinski and the whole aftermath of the events that the film portrays. Mm -hmm. But I do feel it was important. To be uh, that it was shown either way mm-hmm. so I can't really fault them too too much for wanting to put it in but at the same time it just doesn't feel like it works it feels like it's a totally different type of movie at that point point, right? and the film is long, the film feels long it does especially when you've been put through the ringer for that uh, hour sequence or so at the LG's Motel um, it, it feels overwhelming at times and it threatens to swallow you whole in terms of how bleak it is but with all of that said i think it's an extremely well-made film and i think the acting by the ensemble in it is just absolutely incredible if there is any justice in the award season world this film will be nominated for the best sag ensemble i mean the everybody in this movie is just committing 100 percent to everything it is that they're doing that to me there were times while i was watching it where it just felt so real yeah, even the even the fact that Anthony Mackie was uh, in the scene couldn't take me out of it. I right. was I'm so immersed in it. <laughs> so, I, I do say this though uh, the John the John Krasinski thing did take me out a little bit, and I did feel like it was a little. Um, It drew too much attention to itself. If they had just gotten an unknown, unrecognizable actor to just come in and play the lawyer, uh, it would have been totally fine. But the fact that it's John Krasinski, it just draws attention to itself in a a manner that it doesn't need to.
2: (laughs) I agree. I mean, it's a true ensemble piece and it's just a little strange for me. He pops in and the movie has gone on for like almost two hours at that point. And, you know, his character for a screenplay I consider strong overall, it's a very kind of conventional – lawyer type character and it definitely is uh it definitely feels misplaced and John Krasinski's a great actor but it's not uh it doesn't rise to the level of his talents as far as I'm concerned
1: no no it doesn't uh definitely not and like you were saying before about character and highlighting different characters in this movie some characters get more of a light on them than others but that's a character right there. That that's its own film. Yes, yeah. to see everything through this lawyer's point of view and how he feels about the acts that were committed and what's his stance on a personal level versus what he has to do in the courtroom. Right. That, that's its own movie. You sure. Know? But we don't get any of that, and that's why I I, I feel like that third act just really gets hurt if an unknown actor had just come in at the end to play this lawyer i wouldn't even be thinking about any of this you know right but the fact that it's john krasinski somebody who could be their own in their own movie right as its leading man right uh, yeah, yeah, you know it just it doesn't really mesh well together so normally eight out of ten i'm giving it a nine out of ten uh oscar potential for this movie now This is very interesting because we're looking right now at this through the barrel of it's August. Yes. And there's a lot of stuff on the horizon over the next couple of months. I could see – I could potentially see this getting a Best Picture nomination, although it's probably
2: very, very difficult at this point. Right. But I could see it though. I could see it as well. I think that this is a situation where the film's divisiveness probably, you know, it might help its Oscar chances. It keeps the movie in the conversation. Um, there's going to continue to be a lot of dialogue around this film, and uh, I think that'll, you know, keep it uh, as a, a player in the Oscar race, similar to the movie Get Out, you know, which came out in February, but it's such a dynamic film. It's so provocative and relevant to today's society that people continue to talk about it. I think when you have a movie like that, it has more legs than if it were a romantic comedy or something like that.
1: Yeah, um, I think Bigelow's a long shot for director, but maybe a Golden Globe nomination, if anything. Uh, Best supporting actor for Will Poulter. I think that this could happen, Mm -hmm. although it does feel very odd singling out a a white actor um, amongst a a predominantly black cast. I, I will admit it doesn't feel... Right, right. You know, you you could argue Michael Fassbender gets the best supporting actor nomination for Twelve Years a Slave, but you also have to remember that Chiwetel Ejiofor right. and Lupita, Lupita Nyong'o yep. were also nominated as well. So, uh, that, I mean, if it, like, could you imagine if Twelve Years a Slave it was just Fassbender that was nominated? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, right. <laughs> I don't know if that sends out. A, I I I have a feeling that he, as deserving as he is, because man for. How old is he? Like twenty four. Twenty four with with the looks of a high school sophomore. It's pretty amazing, and yet he is the most terrifying adult man that I have seen in a movie, probably since uh, Ray Fiennes and Schindler's List. Right. I mean, he is just such a presence in this movie, and so commanding and so truly awful. Yes, I'm I'm amazed at this twenty four year old kid. Uh, could transform himself in this way to become this character and convincingly so that that that's reason why i would personally put him down on my ballot now whether or not people do that i i have no idea at this point i think the film's best chances lie in editing in the sound categories probably
2: i would agree you know i i think i would put it in the best picture race as it stands now and i would agree with you um screenplay and editing my guess is that will poulter probably will not get a nomination um and the fact that it's such an ensemble piece you know it's interesting to see how that will play in terms of its nominations typically when you have you know best picture contenders you also see them pop up uh, in the acting categories and so on uh so right now i'll say uh, it's in the running for best picture editing and screenplay okay sounds good to me Tommy, thank you so much for
1: joining me for this review of Detroit. I really, really appreciated your conversation on the matter, and we hope to have you on for some more as well as the future
2: rolls on. Where can they find you on the internet? They can find me at Twitter at uh, Barquinero. That's S-I-R-B-A-R-Q-U-I-N-E-R-O. And I I, I do need followers. I do aspire to reach uh, the level of the great Matt Neglia. So if you could – Send some followers my way. It would be much appreciated. And and Matt, it's a pleasure being here with you. You know, we do debate on Twitter often, but I think we make uh, civil podcast partners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think so as well. Uh, definitely be sure to follow Sir Barquinero. He is an anointed knight after all. <laughs> That's correct. And uh, thank you for listening to our review of Detroit on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, itunes podcasts or i think now they're calling it apple podcasts yes and uh yeah that's pretty much it you can find me on all the social media networks at next best picture thank you so much everyone for listening as always we will see you all next time